I wonder this morning if you have ever found yourself in the midst of a storm. Have you ever found yourself in a life experience that either seemed or maybe seems right now today? A storm that seems impossible to overcome. A storm that is physically and emotionally exhausting. If you have, you're in good company. The story of Jesus walking on the water appears in three of the four Gospels. And it appears right on the heel of the feeding of the 5,000, which if you'll remember from last Sunday, outside of the resurrection, it is the only miracle of Jesus that all four Gospels cover. When we look at Mark's account of Jesus walking on the water today, it is a little different than what Matthew tells us and what John tells us. So we'll kind of explore all three passages a little bit this morning. The reason why Mark is a little bit different, of course, is because Mark takes a lot of his understanding from the Apostle Peter himself. And I think as we walk through the text, we'll understand a little bit why Mark is different than that of Matthew, as well as what we read in John's Gospel. So let's pick up with Mark chapter 6. Turn your Bibles there. If you uh, don't have a Bible with you, you can take the Pew Bible there in front of you and it's on page 33. Verse 45 says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Now, if you'll remember from last Sunday, the disciples had left Capernaum. So if you picture the Sea of Galilee, right, um, you're, if you're standing at the southern edge of the Sea of Galilee, you're looking north and west, which is where Capernaum is. Where the disciples were headed was actually across the sea toward a little bit south and mainly east. So if you're at the southern edge of the Sea of Galilee, you're actually looking at the Golan Heights, right? This rocky, arid, dry, parched region. And that is where the miracle of the 5,000, really more like the miracle of the 12 to 15,000, some would even say 20,000 people when you add women and children that Jesus fed them. And so now the text says, immediately he made his disciples get in the boat and go to the other side. So we're right at the end of the miracle of the bread and fish, and Mark indicates that Jesus was in a rush to get the disciples out of there. And Mark doesn't tell us why. 
But John does. John says this in John 6 verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now remember, the crowd that followed Jesus over to the other side of the sea from Capernaum kept asking themselves, Is it possible that this man might be the Christ? Is it possible that he could really be the Messiah? That he might be the one we've been longing for and waiting for and hoping for? So what does Jesus do after he teaches them and preaches and communicates the gospel? As he preaches repentance, the kingdom of God is at hand. Here are all of these people and now it's late in the evening and they're hungry and the disciples want to send them out and Jesus says, you feed them and then some bread and some fish come to him. He blesses them. He breaks them. And right in his hands, a miracle of bread and fish occurs. And all of these thousands of people are served and fed to their fill. And there are 12 baskets left over, one for each of the disciples to meet their physical needs as well. And now Mark says immediately he ships them out into a boat. And the reason, John says, is because the crowd is now looking at Jesus and saying, Yeah, I believe this is it. I believe this is him. And verse 15 says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take Jesus by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So I think Jesus put the disciples in a boat, told them to go to the other side of the lake because he knew these disciples were going to get sucked in to the crowd saying, hey, he's the king, let's make him king, let's establish him as king, let's put him on our shoulders and let's walk down to Jerusalem and let's parade through the streets that the king has come and let's overthrow the Romans and let's kick them out of our country and now let's have our king on the throne in the capital of David. And Jesus knew, I suspect, that the disciples would have been sucked into that. And he sent them away so he could then speak to the crowd and then withdraw himself to a place to pray. So we don't know where Jesus went to pray, but we know on that side of the Sea of Galilee, this mountainous, dry, rocky region, somewhere in that area, Jesus is alone and he's praying. The disciples are crossing the sea. The Bible tells us that they encounter an impossible headwind and the sea becomes angry. They're in a situation that seems impossible. They're in a situation that seems exhausting and even dangerous. And these guys, most of them, not all, but most of them are seasoned veteran fishermen. And they are beyond their strength and ability. So it begs the question, doesn't it? Why would Jesus want the disciples... In this kind of difficulty. Why would Jesus not just allow them to go into a storm. Why would Jesus intentionally put them right smack in the middle of it? They are not in a mess because they've been disobedient. 
They're not in a mess due to their own pride or their own arrogance. They are in this mess out of obedience to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And by the way, this is interesting, these words, and he saw them. Now the Sea of Galilee, I mean, you're looking at a four-mile stretch. And he's up in the mountains. How in the world could Jesus possibly be up in this dry, rocky region and look out some four miles across the sea and see these guys struggling? How could he do that? I'll tell you how he could do it. The exact same way he is aware of your struggles today. The exact same way that he knows what's going on in the recesses of your heart. And in your life this very moment. He saw that they were making headway painfully. About the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night would be between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So the first watch is 6 to 9. The second watch is 9 to 12. Third watch, 1 to 3. Fourth watch, 6 to 9. So they've been in this boat now for like 8, 9 hours. And they're just rowing feverishly. And yet they're in the middle of the sea. So the text says about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And then notice the words he meant to pass by them. Jesus sees his disciples and he comes to meet them. On a normal day, it would take four hours to row across the Sea of Galilee. But this is not a normal day and it's not a normal storm. And they've been at it for eight hours and they're still in the middle of the lake. Mark does let us know that the storm they're facing, the physical storm, matches really the spiritual storm. Because just glance down for a second at verse 52. Verse 52, they did not understand about the loaves for their hearts were hardened. Think about that. They did not understand the miracle and the bread of the bread and the fish. Oh, they knew that Jesus miraculously broke bread so hungry people could be satisfied. What they did not fully grasp was that He was indeed the bread of life. John MacArthur says they understood Jesus had power. They just didn't understand He was power. They understood that He was from God. They just didn't understand He was God. And so they found themselves in danger. See, the disciples were always around Jesus. They were always around His teaching. They were always around His kingdom work. This is not the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. This is over two years into His earthly ministry. And His ministry is at a pitch, at, a, at the, the apex in terms of the crowds of people who are surrounding Him and gathered around Him, desiring to know whether or not this could truly be the Messiah. And so here are these 12 men, always around Jesus, His teaching, His work, still missing who He was. And by the way, dear ones, that is the exact same danger that you and I can face today. Is it possible 
that we could sit in a worship service like this, go to a Bible study class, right? Be a part of a mission opportunity around all of these really good things, yet never really getting to know Jesus Himself, who He is, what He did. And what He wants to do in your life right now today. And so what does Jesus do? He comes down to the edge of the sea and takes a walk. And as soon as Jesus sets out to walk across the sea, we have some idea of what He had in mind. I mean, it was just like last week, right? He could have fed the crowd of people just by speaking it into existence. He didn't have to leave the hillside. He could have just said, winds, stop. Waves, calm. And it would have been done. If all he wanted to do was relieve the difficulty, he could have done that on the edge without doing a thing. Jesus takes a walk because he is not after the difficulty, he is after the men who are in the midst of the difficulty. That's why. You see, dear ones, everything that they understood at this point in Jesus' ministry is all about to change. But it's not just that. I would tell you their very lives are about to change. They're rowing for eight hours. It's the fourth watch of the night. It's three o'clock in the morning. And you can imagine this scene if you're one of these disciples. Fishermen always have stories of seeing things out in the water. Right? We've heard those. We've heard guys, we've read of stories of guys who spent their lives out in the sea and seeing things and all kinds of stuff. There must have been lots of ideas running through their mind when they look up and they see a figure walking across the sea. I mean, what did Jesus' walking on the water look like? Right? Was he just kind of striding along calmly? Was he walking up and down the swales with his arms out to keep his balance as he walked? Was his body coated with like Rain-X so the water would just bubble up and run off of him? I mean, I read one uh, article that was more concerned about whether or not he was dry or wet when he got in the boat. Well, the disciples were physically drained from rowing, and suddenly Jesus walks on the water, and the text says he meant to pass by them. Right? When you dig deeper, on the surface, it always raises questions what could that possibly mean? What was Jesus possibly trying to teach? But when you dig deeper, you find that it is the language of the Old Testament. It is the language of an encounter between Moses and God. 
Moses was having a meeting with God and in Exodus 33, God told him that he had found favor in his sight and God said, Moses, I know you by name. So what does Moses do? Moses then makes this just astounding, this amazing request of God. And here's what it says in Exodus 33, verse 18. Moses said, Lord, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Lord, right? So God answers Moses by saying, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. And by the way, it's the same language used by Mark when talking about Jesus passing by the disciples in the boat. And then God says to Moses that he would proclaim his name before them, Lord, which it means Yahweh, which means I am. And that's what Jesus does. Good verse 49, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. They cried out before they all saw him and they were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and he said, take heart. This is a phrase that is used by Jesus over and over again. Always in the Gospels with the exception of an encounter with Paul in Acts. Take heart. So here they are in a boat, they're seeing what they think is a ghost. Now what would you do if you were out there and you saw what you thought was a ghost? I would not be worried about the water in the sea at that point. I'd be, well you get the point. They cried out, they were terrified. And immediately Jesus spoke to them and he said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. He said it is I. In the Greek it means I am. You see, dear ones, Jesus is not walking on the water to show off. Jesus is walking on the water to let the disciples know He is God. So if we've asked the question, why did Jesus send the disciples into the storm? I would suspect the answer is that he did it for the same reason he sometimes sends you into a storm. Or sometimes he allows a storm to come in to your life. He does it, I suspect, to remind us. That peace is not found in a life of ease. And sometimes I think some of our prosperity gospel preachers and churches miss this. Dear ones, the goal of God is not to just give you a life of ease. The goal of God is not to make you healthy and wealthy and wise and all of those. Well, it is to make you wise. Healthy and wealthy. The goal of God is to make you look like Jesus. That you would be conformed to His image. And if you're a believer, a Christ follower today, and you've been a believer for more than a minute, you know that your life has not been storm-free. Can somebody testify today? It is not storm-free living. Peace is not found in a life of ease. Peace is found in the presence and power and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Because He is the only one who reigns over the sea that is your life and mine. When you know Jesus, you know a peace that rises above the storms of life. You know that He is in you. That He is with you. That He is for you. And that He is your only hope. Jesus revealed His deity to the disciples when they were unbelieving. He revealed His deity to His disciples when their hearts were hardened. And by the way, that ought to be good news for you today. It's good news for me today. Because it tells me that Jesus loves us so much that He would be willing to remove any and all barriers to come to us. Right? He stepped off the throne. He took on flesh. He became like us in every way, like, like us except one. He came without sin. He entered humanity as one of us in order to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He came to show us that there is no barrier, dear ones. There is no amount of shame, no amount of sin, no amount of guilt that can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He came to the disciples and walked on the water and proclaimed His name and He got in the boat with them. So no matter how hard your life gets, no matter what struggle you are going through today, Jesus has crossed that impossible barrier that separates you from Him and He is in your midst now. It's interesting to me that God would would give me this today. As my mom is probably in the last day or two of her life. And it is a good reminder of the greatness of God. And of the power of Jesus to be with us at all times. See, one of the things that Mark doesn't tell us, that Matthew does, and you know the story, right? Matthew 14 tells us. When this happened, what did Peter do? Lord, let me come out on the water with you. And he says, come on. And he gets out, and he's walking across the water. I mean, he's experiencing what no other man has ever experienced before, ever since. He's walking across the water. Now, yeah, he's a little human, so his eye all of a sudden sees a wave, and he sees the storm, and he takes his eye off Jesus. He begins to sink, and Jesus grabs him and pulls him up. And the next thing you know, they're in the boat. And sometimes we can be critical of Peter and talk about Peter. But let me tell you something today. Peter understood something that the other disciples needed to understand. He's better off out in the storms of life with Jesus than he is in the boat without him. And that's where he goes. Now I want to conclude today by having you turn to John chapter 6. Because I want you to see what John tells us about what's next. So go to John chapter 6. Because John tells us that when Jesus and his disciples make it to the shore, the crowd that he fed the day before is now there to meet him. And they're ready for another meal. Right? 
It's been a few hours. We've eaten, but it's breakfast time. So let's eat again. So they come for another meal, and Jesus says they didn't come seeking him because of who he was. They came seeking him for what he could do for them. Again, this ought to speak into the prosperity gospel message in our culture today. Is our only reason for coming to Jesus based on what he can do for us in this life? Or based on what he can do for us in the life to come? Verse 26 in John 6, Jesus says to them, You're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Jesus is saying, your only desire is the momentary. What you need is the eternal So he says, if you really want to follow me, you know, you you have to believe. You have to know that I am the true bread of heaven. And in a sense, you have to eat my flesh. You have to drink my blood. Otherwise, you can have no part of me. And somewhere around verse 66, the crowd refused to see Jesus as God. And be sure and note this, they walked away from Jesus. They walked away from Jesus. A very prominent former pastor who wrote several books on kissing, dating, goodbye, and all of these kinds of things. Left his church. divorced his wife, and now this week has come out saying he is now leaving the faith. He no longer believes. They walked away from Jesus, and what did Jesus do? I may be reading more in this than I should. That happens to me a lot. But they walked away from Jesus, and dear ones, Jesus let them. And he turned to the disciples, and I want you to notice verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to walk away as well? And Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. Now remember, they got in the boat, they saw the miracle of the bread and the fish, they got in the boat, their hearts were hardened, they didn't understand, they didn't believe, Jesus comes out, he walks across the water, right, he comes to the boat, the wind sees, Peter had jumped out, he had walked across, he begins to seek, Jesus takes him by the hand, they get back in the boat, and one of the things that Matthew tells us is this, Matthew 14 verse 33, those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly you are the Son of God they confessed (laughs) you're the Messiah you're the anointed one of God 
The crowd missed it. The crowd didn't get it, but boy, these guys got it, and it changed their life. And can I just tell you today, when you get it, it changes your life. It changes the way you think. You no longer stand beside the bed of someone you love, wondering about eternity. No, now you grieve still, but you don't grieve without hope. Because you know, just as the disciples came to understand, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and He has conquered death for you. And because He conquered death, so will you who believe. So, back to John 6, and I'm going to wrap up. You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They are saying, Jesus, where else are we going to go? Because we now know that you have words that are eternal. Jesus, we now know that you are God. So church, please hear me today. Your security is not dependent upon your ability to never doubt. And your security today is not dependent upon your ability to never struggle. Your security is on Jesus' ability to give you eternal life. It's on Him. When you confess, He gives perfect peace. And then when you experience the life struggles that we all face, He is faithful to come to you over and over and over again. And Jesus Christ loves you right where you are today. Some of you I know, I know really well. Some of you I don't. I see new faces. And so I want to say to all the new faces, Jesus Christ loves you right where you are today. And he has no intention of leaving you there. And he wants to do an amazing work in your life. But if you walk away, he'll let you. And some of you may walk away thinking, I got this under control. <laughs> I can handle it. Can I just ask you a question today? If, if that's been you in the past and you've just got it under control and... You know, you're going to take care of it yourself. You don't need any outside help with the struggles that you're facing today. Can I just ask you today, how's that working out for you? If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, oh my, 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 what a life joy you will experience. And what a life Peace you will face in every difficult storm.